0: You're listening to Two Guys on Politics with former Congressman Bill Lipinski and former Chicago City Hall reporter Ray Hannania. Two Guys on Politics examines the perspective of Reagan Democrats. Enjoy the show. I'm Ray Hananio with Bill Lipinski, and we're two guys on politics. Bill, welcome this morning. It's always good
1: to talk to you, Raymond.
0: Yeah, we got we have two big topics on the plate. The first one is uh, the continuing saga of Afghanistan. Are you surprised by everything that's happened?
1: Uh, well, i tell you, the thing that has surprised me the most, quite frankly, is the fact that originally I was very uh, much in favor of taking the troops out of uh Afghanistan, bring them home. We've been there 20 years. Right. But I flipped on that. Now that so much has happened uh, in the withdrawal, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, very soon. But we had 2,500 troops there for what, the last two years or so? Right. And uh, it kept the Afghan government going. It kept their uh, soldiers fighting it protected the men and women uh, and girls in uh, Afghanistan. We still have troops in Germany. We have troops in Korea. We have troops in Japan. I have been told that clandestinely, we have troops in Taiwan. uh, And I don't want to go into any other ones because I really don't know if it's true or not, but, if we could keep those troops in those countries, uh, why didn't we keep them in Afghanistan? Now, as I say, originally, I thought we should pull them out, but no longer. Maybe we should have pulled them out if the Afghan government was going to be able to stand up and continue to govern and run that country. But from what I've been hearing more and more, uh, it was believed by a lot of people that the Taliban would take over as soon as we pulled out from our air support and then pulled all our troops out. And when we gave up that Air Force Base, I don't know why we ever gave up that Air Force Base. Do you have any idea, have you heard what the story is about giving up
0: that Air Force Base? No, but uh, uh, what I understand was that, uh, you know, everything when I read back on uh, President Biden's speeches going back to July, he had a couple of press conferences where he actually took questions from reporters. Um, and oh, I don't, I don't in, believe that. Yeah, no, but in July, I think it was July 8th, there's a whole text that I was reading through just today. And during the entire time of the press conference, he kept insisting there is no way that the Taliban is going to take over. I've been assured by my military advisors, our men, we have spent billions. We trained the Afghan government. They're ready to take over. You know, it's up to the Afghan people to decide their own fate and uh, that he said there's no need for us to keep any soldiers there. They got it. There's no chance. The Taliban. I mean, literally, I think he said the phrase no chance
1: that the Taliban
0: would take over. Well, what's interesting is that this, you know, the, the aspect that why didn't the media, if this had been Donald Trump, you take Biden out, put Trump in keep everything exactly the same, the only difference would be the way the media is reporting on this. All those quotes from July 8th would have come back to haunt him, but not this time.
1: Well, the media has been with Joe Biden ever since he won the Democratic nomination. Uh, Throughout the entire campaign, Uh, he has had that with them ever since he was sworn into office. And he has that with him at the present time. Yes, if it was Trump, they would be you know, talking about why did we ever pull those troops out? How could we expose these women and girls to the Taliban? You know how ruthless they are, how they make women into third, fourth class citizens. Uh, we be talking about the exit. I mean, that, that uh, it's bad enough that we wound up pulling the troops out. They, they would have that the Taliban took over. But the way we had to take People out of that country under such duress because Biden wouldn't push the deadline back a few days. And he certainly could have done so. We had 2,500 troops there. Everybody saw how chaotic it was at that civilian airport. He could have pushed it back, you know, three, four days. He could have pushed it back a week. As it turns out, we left early and we left at least 200 American citizens there. And Lord only knows how many people. From the Afghan side, who had helped us while we were there, I think that's criminal that we left
0: two hundred Americans there. The the media would have thrown in Biden's face his quotes several times that we would we will never leave anybody back there. We will defend the people that the Afghans who supported us. We he said he made a big point of saying that he gave twenty five thousand waivers, I think, or two hundred fifty thousand waivers. Uh, So they could come to the U S he said, half of them haven't come because they're pretty confident about the way the country is going to go. But he said, we're not going to leave anybody there. All that would have been thrown in the face of a president Trump who said any of that, but in this case, nothing. It's almost as if uh, we don't need no matter what he said, "Ah, they took over. What are you going to do? We never were at war. Now you're hearing to me, this is shocking. We are never at war with the Taliban. We were always at war with Al-Qaeda. I'm going, what? I don't know. It's just, uh, It's. I'm just, uh, I'm shocked by all this, to be honest with you. It's such an embarrassment. Well, I'm shocked
1: show. by it too, but we shouldn't be shocked. Uh, the news media has been with Biden, as I say, from the time he got the nomination, yeah. all the way through the election. Up until today, they're still covering for him. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, now, I... Uh, And I've heard so many people on radio and TV in the last couple of days since we ran out of Afghanistan, our military personnel who worked there uh, and worked with uh, people from Afghanistan who now are trying to figure out ways to go back in there and get these people out uh, so they'll be safe. Uh, It's just—it's amazing. I must have heard fifteen to twenty people say that they're setting something up where they can go back in and help these people get out.
0: These are American citizens. I'm talking about. And I've seen stories about some Americans who've actually gone back. uh, Their military personnel who've gone back to get the people that were translators for them to get their families out. Some of them have come out, but the the total disarray in this thing, I think, is embarrassing. And, but how will it impact politics, do you think, moving forward? What impact does this really have? We did lose 13 American soldiers on, you know uh, last week when those, the ISIS terrorists struck, but, and they're vowing to do more. And I, I interviewed uh, Betty McCollum last week, the congresswoman from Minnesota, and she said that we were told that terrorist attacks were imminent But it doesn't look like anybody believed it. It's like, no, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to be out of there. The Afghan government's going to be in charge. And I
1: understand our our military didn't want to give up at the airport. They really didn't think the Afghan army was ready to stand up without our air cover and without our technical advice and without those 2,500 American troops there. I don't know if that's true or if it isn't true, but there's been enough people talking in that direction that it may very well have been true. You asked about the politics. Shortly, within a day after the pullout, many of these liberal left-wing progressive news commentators were talking about, oh, well, the American people have a very, very short uh, memory uh, in six months, they will have forgotten all about this. Uh, what will be important will be the economy and how the economy is doing. And what the, what are the stories they picked up just recently? Situation with the Supreme Court vote on abortion. Right. Uh, you know, they're playing that up real, real big. They're lighting
0: the fire under, they want to find another issue, right? Yeah. To distract the American people and say, hey, Let's forget about Afghanistan. Let's forget about the Taliban. Let's forget about another Vietnam where we had to run and push our helicopters. This time we didn't push the helicopters over. We left them with the keys for the <laughs> Taliban to take over. Well, there's another thing that they're
1: playing up in the news media, too, besides the abortion issue. And right now it's escaping me. Isn't there
0: another issue that they're talking about? Uh, there, there, there are a couple. I'd have to think about it, too. But th- this uh, next year, right, or midterm elections. Now, uh, as you know, probably the majority, probably only four or five presidents manage to hold on to their uh, help their party hold control in a midterm election. But in most cases, the president who the party of the president who is in power ends up losing the Congress and sometimes the Senate in a midterm election. Correct?
1: Absolutely correct. Yeah, I think the the historical average of losing House seats after the first two years of a new president is 26. Wow. And right yeah. now, you know, I think the- margin, 26 seats. 26 seats, yeah. yeah. 26 seats. I think the margin right now is uh, the Democrats are six votes up on the Republicans in the House. Before this debacle in Afghanistan, most pundits who were being honest would really say that they felt that the Republicans would probably recapture the House of Representatives. Now, no matter how much they try to distract people from this issue, I mean the news media, I think there'll be enough of them to remember what happened here. No matter what the situation is on other issues, uh, I believe that there will be a Republican takeover of the House of Representatives. And I certainly hope so, because I hope that uh they don't move this $3.5 billion bill that they have at the present time. I hope someone can slow it down so we can get a divided government. If we get the Biden government, which is the best government for the American people, you know, we won't pass that $3.5 trillion. And we'll actually be able to say our US dollar is still worth something.
0: Yeah. And you're not, you're not taking sides, Republican or Democratic. You're saying we need a balance. Of voices, So we do the right thing, because right now it seems like the Democrats have have had control. Um, the media has been on the side of the Democrats. There's no accountability. There's no pressure to say, hey, we're watching you. They can almost do whatever they want. And with the coronavirus and all the money we're giving away, it's almost like we're fueling people to stay home. Nobody wants to work. They're businesses that I, I've seen where they, they want to hire two, three hundred people. They can't get 20 people to apply for the jobs. No, I, there's something wrong here. Yeah, we're giving away too
1: much money. That's what's wrong. Uh, I mean, those of us who pay taxes, uh, are, I, I wish it would be stated instead of when they talk about, you know, this is a government program. They should say this is a taxpayer's program. Yeah, We, the taxpayers, are paying for it. Yes. Uh, the government doesn't create any money. They just take the money from people who pay taxes to productive members of society and turn it over to other projects that frankly, for the most part, uh, it doesn't benefit those people who are productive. Now, I have no trouble with taking care of people who are down on their luck right. temporarily or permanently if they've made a good faith effort you know, to try to get themselves back to be productive members of society. Uh, but I do have a problem with people who could go back to work but say, oh, I'm making you know, four fifths of what I used to make staying at home. There's no reason to go back to work. Right. Uh, and We talk about, yeah, I want to understood that I served in the House when the Democrats controlled everything and I served there when the Republicans controlled everything. I'm talking about the House, the Senate, the presidency. I was opposed to both of those because what you get at that time is the most radical elements in the party that's in power start dictating to the more moderate elements of their party and saying, if we don't get what we want, if you don't pass our programs, we're just going to dump you in the opposite party. will then have so much more power in the House of Representatives and in the Senate. Yeah. So I'm and against and- United and- government.
0: And I don't want to. I don't want to add another topic to it. We can save this for some other time. But this whole idea that uh, let's get rid of the filibuster so that the party, you know, that nobody can keep us from doing something. I, I just don't get it. Just to make the moment, or even today, where they're saying let's add more people, let's add more members to the Supreme Court to yeah, achieve Bowl, balance.
1: Frank, that's about time.
0: And it didn't work, right? It didn't work. No, it didn't work at all. Well, listen. Let's uh, let's do a final uh, comment about this Afghan thing. And I think that uh, uh, from my side, for the midterm elections, it's going to depend on what happens in Afghanistan and also the act of terrorism. We saw the terrorists kill thirteen of our people and I don't know how many hundreds of Afghan uh, uh, civilians.
1: Seventy Afghan civilians. God, it's.
0: Yeah, it's terrible. So, And they've said they're going to do more. And their enemy isn't just the Afghans. Their enemy is us. They're going to target us. So next year, I, I, the, I, I think the Republicans are going to take over. But how much they take over, I think, is going to be pushed by how badly Afghanistan uh, continues to deteriorate.
1: I agree with you. And if, if the Republicans can at least get the House of Representatives, that will checkmate a lot of what the progressive elements of the Democratic Party wants to do. Uh, and I would feel the same way if the Republicans controlled everything now. I would like to have the Democrats right. grab the House or grab the Senate so we have divided government. Divided government is the best government for the people.
0: Yeah. All right. Now, we had one other topic. You wrote, you, you write a column right from the middle, which uh, every, uh, about every week or so, um, which offers a Reagan Democrat perspective uh, under your byline, which is phenomenal, by the way. Um, and I, uh, this last one I thought was just, I'd never heard the story before. I don't know if anybody's heard it, but I, w- I when I posted it at SuburbanChicagoland.com, I put the title Contra Reagan and the Orange Wine." And when you see all of that together, you wonder, how does that even connect? But it is connected, isn't it? Yes, it is all connected. We go back to the oh, early
1: 1980s. Uh, there was a lot of communist activity in Central and South America at that particular time. In Nicaragua, the communists actually went by the name of the Sandinistas. Right. Okay. Uh, they were attempting to bring communism to Nicaragua, all of Central America. And there are other groups operating in South America attempting to do the same thing. Well, there was a group in Nicaragua who were opposed to the Sandinistas. Uh, They were called the Contras. They were lobbying President Reagan for military aid to help them defeat the Sandinistas, the communists in Nicaragua. Uh, I have been an anti-communist for many, many years. I've read about the Russian Revolution. I know a great deal about China and Mao and Chang. I followed that all very closely. I've actually read Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. I know how bad communism is. We all should know it if we just reflect a little bit about what was in the Soviet Union. So I was an anti-communist, and I felt I was an intelligent, informed anti-communist. Reagan wanted to vote Reagan wanted money for the Contras.
0: Uh I decided that I would support his request. And I just and to remind everybody he's a Republican, the Republicans were pushing to support the Contras, the Democrats generally were opposed to giving the money the money the Sandinistas you're absolutely right were communists. I think the guy was Ortega was the right. leader. I I remember those Diego headlines Ortega and, you know, that whole theory of Vietnam was still fresh in everybody's mind. The domino theories. Now the dominoes were spread out all over Central America. And the last thing we wanted was communist takeover. So Reagan's pushing for let's support the Contras. There's a vote. Is that what happened? There's going to there's be a vote. Yes. In the House of
1: Representatives. Now, Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House, really a very nice guy, a guy I like very, very much. His... Uh, position was he was anti the Contras. He said the Sandinistas were simply a left-wing political party. Now, he was influenced greatly by his sister, who was a Mary nun in Central America at that particular time. As I say, the communists were active down there. And unfortunately, the Catholic Church in Central and South America believed in this liberation theology, they were siding many times with the communist side in these battles in Central and South America.
0: And not because they were communists, but because they felt that this change was going to bring change for the people away from the dictatorships that, you know, the banana republics that ran those things. So it wasn't support for communism, right? It was support for this is the people maybe evolving into independence. Right, they were
1: just, they happened to be on the same side, although they didn't believe totally in the same philosophy. Right. Yeah. So comes time for the vote and I put up my yes vote. Uh, And Tip O'Neill comes running over to me and uh, he says to me, what are you doing? I says, "Uh, I'm voting against communism, Mr. Speaker. What would Mayor Daly say about that? Uh, he, he was talking about the real Mayor Daly, Richard, Richard J.
0: J. Daley. Daley.
1: And I says, well, Mr. Speaker, the mayor has always said, support the president. So I says, besides being an anti-communist, I want to support my president. And I'm following the advice of the great mayor of Chicago. Tip's face became very... Very red. Wow! He started waving his arms up and down, turned around and stormed s- up. walked away from me. Okay, so it passes. It passes by maybe oh, I think three, four, five votes, something like that.
0: So you weren't the deciding vote, but you added to the the vote that mm-hmm. gave Reagan what he wanted. That right. had, and he didn't have the vote without some Democrats, correct? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do it without a Yeah, few. there were some uh, Democrats from the South who also
1: voted for it. They were called the Bow Weevils at the time. But <laughs> I was the only guy, north to the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> uh, so the next day or two days later, uh, my uh, receptionist says, uh, Congressman, uh, uh, the president is on the line. And I figured, yeah, sure, the President's on the line. Uh, all my friends knew that I was a great fan of President Reagan's. So I figured it was one of them calling up. <clears throat> so I get on the phone, I says, hello, Ron, how are you doing? And uh, he says, uh, I'm doing just fine, Congressman, how are you? Did you recognize his voice when he oh, yeah, said right? that? Yeah, I recognized his <laughs> voice, yes. So there was probably about 25, 30 minutes of silence <laughs> while well, I recovered from the shock of actually having him call me up. Uh, and I said to him, I says, uh, Mr. President, uh, I really thought somebody was having fun with me. And I thought that this call was being, uh, uh, that it really wasn't you on the line. I didn't mean to be disrespectful to you. Right. You just know, oh, no, I understand that. I understand it. So I know how you guys from Chicago are. It's Okay. Uh, And he said, uh, Uh, I wanted to call you up and thank you for the vote that you cast in behalf of military aid to the Contras. He says it's very important. So he and I then proceeded to talk for six, seven, eight minutes about the Soviet Union, about the Chinese being communists now, uh, and a number of other places where the communists were very active and we have to stand up and we have to stop them. And, you know, he and I had a very nice conversation back and forth were two strong anti-communist talking. And uh, then he says to me, uh, well, I have to go, Congressman. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, If there's ever anything I can do for you, please let me know. And the good Lord put in my mouth the words, Mr. President, Have you ever heard of the Southwest rapid transit system? And he says, uh, no, I haven't, Congressman. Tell me a little bit about it. Well, I started to talk to him about what it is. And, uh, you know, Ron wasn't the greatest detail man in the world. He says, uh, well, hold hold it up. You know, uh, I have a young man here by the name of Johnson. He'll give you a call and he'll take all the information. And we'll probably be able to help you out, Congressman. I said, well, okay, thank you very much. I hung up. Uh, Fifteen minutes later, I get a call. My secretary says, it was my secretary this time. She says, it's uh, a Mr. Johnson from the White House. I says, I'll talk to him. I got on the phone and he says, "Uh, the president just asked me to call you, Congressman. uh, Something about a Southwest rapid transit. So I explained the whole thing to him uh, and how much it would cost and so forth and so forth. On, and he says, Well, the president told me that we should help you out if at all possible. So let me check into things and uh, I'll get back to you. Well, he never actually got back to me. But Ralph Stanley, who was the head of the urban mass transit department of the Federal Department of Transportation, called me about two weeks later. And he says to me, uh, Congressman, I'm coming to Chicago next week. You tell me what day, what time, and where to be. And I'm bringing a check to build the Southwest transit system. Wow. And I says, well, that's wonderful. I says, you pick the day, you pick the time, you pick the place. I have no problem. You know, he says, okay. He says, "Uh, can we invite the mayor? It was Mayor Washington. And the governor, it was Governor Thompson. I said, you can invite anybody that you want. I says, absolutely. Uh, but uh, probably took about 10 days before he actually got there. Came to Chicago. We met at the Thompson building. There was Governor Thompson, uh, Mayor Washington, myself, Ralph Stanley. And there are you know, a lot of people from the uh, news media there, too. And he had this check that was blown up. It was about you know three feet high and about six feet long. And it said it was, you know, to the Southwest Rapid Transit System, uh, I think it was, I think it was $525 million. Wow. And he hands, wow. he hands me this check, okay? Uh, so then I had Governor Thompson and Harold Washington hold it with me, and they took pictures of the four of us. Okay. Uh, so that became what today is known as the Orange Line.
0: And just to remind people in Chicago and the people on the Southwest side, obviously remember the day when we didn't have a transit line that would go from the loop to Midway airport, but there was nothing at that time. Correct. Like a bus that you could get on a bus at Midway and the bus would take you to the loop. I, I took that the many only, times to city hall. Yeah. It was the only area of the city that
1: was not uh, served by a rapid transit system or you know, the L system. And, and you'd been
0: trying to get that for many years.
1: That was probably the principal reason I went to Congress uh, was to get that because uh, I had tried everything on the local level uh, and uh, I could only get so far. So I finally decided that uh,
0: if it was going to be done, I was going to have to go to Washington and get the money myself. But you should have thrown in when you're talking to Reagan that you wanted the Crosstown Expressway and the rapid transit line. You could could have gone for broke.
1: Uh, (laughs) No, that's... That's, That's a, a whole
0: nother story. story. You're a newsman and
1: I'm a <laughs> practical I, I'm a statesman and I know what I can get done and what I couldn't get done. That's so funny. I I cut it at just the uh, orange lead. So that but, so, it, but that story over the course of the years has been twisted by the news media. Yeah. No matter how many times I tried to straighten it out, it's been written, and you could go ahead and look it up, that I cut a deal with Reagan before the vote. And that was totally and completely untrue. Uh, there's a few people who know enough of the story right. that realizes it's untrue. But it wouldn't have happened if he didn't call me up to thank me and if God didn't put those words in my mouth. And it was named the orange line. Well, Daily finally wound up naming it the orange line. Yes, he did. What did you want to name it? I really never gave any thought or consideration to it, quite frankly. Maybe the Reagan The Ronald Reagan line. Ronald Reagan line would have been fine with me, absolutely. Although,
0: although personally, I think, given all the commitment you've made to transportation over the years, they should have named that after uh, Bill Lipinski, the Bill Lipinski line, because you put in so much time uh, from reviving Midway Airport uh, with all the activists out there. You brought them all together. You helped make that a reality. When you look at Midway today, it's a huge airport. And it's nestled perfectly in the community with huge traffic. And it's an economic engine for that Southwest side. It's one of the biggest ones we have.
1: No, and I had to get, uh, originally, the Southwest Transit or the Orange Line was going to stop about a block and a half from the airport. Uh, I took uh, Harold Washington out there on a Saturday morning once along with Speaker Madigan. And I pointed out to both of them that that would be a terrible mistake, that the orange line should be brought right up to uh, the airport so that people could get off of the orange line, get on an escalator and get right into the airport. Now, that also necessitated, though, uh, moving the terminal for Midway Airport right. to the west side, excuse me, to the east, the east side side, right, Cicero Avenue. Uh, thereby giving more room on the air side for more flights, which was good, but also making it easier for people to get off and on of the Orange Line. And Harold Washington uh, agreed with me, and he changed the plans at the end there to facilitate that.
0: There should at least be a sign there that says, thank you, Ronald Reagan, and thank you to the Contras. The fight against communism prevails. Right. That, listen, Bill, that is a great story. Any, any final thoughts on that? Because, uh, um, you know, any other memories of that that you want to share? Or that That's a, a, a f- phenomenal story. It's one of my favorites. Well, and, and different from what I remember, other people reporting about it, too, as you point out.
1: Yeah, a number, a number of years back, they celebrated an anniversary of the Southwest Rapid Transit and uh, Dorville Carter was the head of the CTA at the time, and he invited me to come out to uh, the terminal there and participate in uh, the ceremonies. Uh, and uh, he asked me to speak, and I and he he talked about me acquiring the money, but he also talked about how I made this deal with Reagan beforehand. So I tried one more time, you know, to get this situation straight. And I got up and I says, I thank Dorville for inviting me out here. I thank him for talking about me. Thank him for giving me an opportunity to speak, but I just have to set the record straight. And I proceeded to tell him how it actually happened. And a uh, then came back up to the mic and said, oh, I didn't realize that, uh, uh, Congressman, but whatever way it was, you got it for us. <laughs> well, the next day I read in the Tribute in the Sun-Times about the ceremony they had at Midway Airport. And how I cut this deal with President Reagan to vote for the Contras if he would take care of uh, uh, building the, giving us the money to build the Southwest Rapid Transit. So, well,
0: the final.
1: Have you ever seen the movie, uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance?
0: Yes, I did.
1: Okay. I remember that. What what does the editor say at the end of uh, that movie? I, I don't remember. Okay. What, Jimmy Sturt's character goes on to beat it he is the guy who shot Liberty Balance, okay? Uh, but the guy who really shot him was the character that John Wayne played. Uh, and he tried to tell people for years and years that it wasn't him, it, you know, wasn't. it was John Wayne's character. Uh, but he went on to be governor of the state, United States Senator. So when John Wayne's character dies, Jimmy Sturt's character and his wife come back to Shinbone was the name of the city. And they sit down and they talk to the local newspaper editor and they tell the real true story. And the newspaper editor says, thank you very, very much, Senator. I appreciate it. But listen, at some point, the legend becomes the facts, no matter what the facts really are.
0: So we're going to print the legend. Well, today's podcast with Bill Lipinski and me, Ray Hanania, two guys on politics, has offered the facts as opposed to the legend on the Contras, Ronald Reagan, and the Orange Line. Bill, uh, thank you again, and uh, we'll be back again next week to talk about uh, more politics and more good stories like this. Very good, Ray. Have Have a good week. All right. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to Two Guys on Politics with former Congressman Bill Lipinski and former Chicago City Hall reporter Ray Hanania. The Two Guys on Politics podcast offers opinion commentary on issues in the news on local, regional, and national American politics from the perspective of Reagan Democrats. For more information on their podcast, visit SuburbanChicagoland.com.